And stand with me one more time, if you will. Mark chapter 8. Are you there? Say amen. Beginning with verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, Jesus said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man or a woman if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. And I know you don't mind me praying because his house is called a house of prayer. But I want to pray a prayer for myself and I trust that you would join with me very briefly this morning. Lord, I just humble myself before you. Uh, an unworthy vessel, an, un, uh, an unworthy vessel at best, but I am yours. And I ask today that you would use me and the things you've put in my heart and the capacity to communicate, that I would be able to speak with clarity your words in such a way that they would be like water finding the deepest part in the soul of the person. Let your word go as a hammer to the one whose heart is hard. May it go as a balm of Gilead to the ones who's diseased and wounded, O oh Lord. And I'm asking that people who were not identify themselves would not say, I am a Christian, or the ones that are lost in, in unbelief, that they would come to faith today. They are not joining no church. They're not joining Christ Chapel or John Wood or the Assemblies of God. But they would be birthed again by your spirit into your family, God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to deal just for a few moments this morning on that question. What profit is there? What profit is there if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? What profit is there in gaining the world? What profit is there in living by the world's standard, living by the world's code, going the world's direction, at the world's pace, for the world's reasons? What profit is it? Well, you gain acceptance. You're in the majority. You can pursue possessions, find notoriety, feel the safe feeling of inclusion. You can live a luxurious life where you are the focus of it. You can experience pleasures allowed and unallowed. And you live independent, which means that you get to be God, small g. And by God, I mean the, the, the final authority in your life. You determine where you go, what you do, what you say, where you work, where you spend your money. You are Lord of your life. And in this world, you gain that freedom if you live a life without Christ. There is much profit in living a life without Christ. But no profit continues. There is much profit, but it's all temporal, nothing eternal. 
all depreciating, nothing appreciating. There are pleasures in sin, but only for a season. And what profit is it? I'm trying to answer the question. What profit is it for someone that gains the whole world? The profit is they get the world while they live. And what they lose is their soul. Their eternal destiny is decided. By gaining the world, they lose the Lord. That's why the Lord is very clear. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. You cannot love the world and love God. I can enjoy and have pleasures in the world without being connected and obedient and servant to the Lord. So this morning I want to talk about the person, and I'll just use my story and your story. What does a life without Christ look like? A life without Christ, the prophet. Well, it is a prevalent one. Everyone enters the world a sinner. We are not a sinner because we sin. We sin because we are a sinner. By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And it was passed on uh, from your parents and your grandparents. Sin passed on. So it's a prevalent experience. Every one of us that were born into this world were born into this world with a sin nature, a depravity. That's why there is none righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. No one is in right standing with God. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 says, You are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without Christ in this present world. Without God in this world. And the Bible says in Romans 5 that sin came into the world through one person and death came through sin. So death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. So a life without Christ is prevalent. God grouped the whole world in sin so that he could make the gospel available to the world. So everyone experienced, well, no, I've been a Christian all my life. No, you weren't. You didn't see yourself in the sandbox. You know Christian. Hitting that boy over the head with a Tonka truck. Yeah, you've got the sin nature in you. A life without Christ, listen, carnally speaking, is a preferred one. The flesh warreth against the spirit. The Bible tells you the flesh loves this life. It's the preferred one because it's natural. You can be selfish without trying. You can be lustful without trying. You can... Bring on addictions without trying. The flesh, a life without Christ is natural to the flesh. In the same way that a life with Christ is natural with the Spirit. That's why the Spirit wars against the flesh. One of the evidences of salvation is conflict. In your soul, conflict. Before you were saved, there was no conflict. You wanted to drink, you drank. You wanted to get drunk, you get drunk. You want to sleep around, you slept around. No problem. No conflict. But when you're born again, the life in the spirit contradicts and wars against that. That's why the Christian life is narrow and the life in the world is broad. So if I wanted to live carnally, it's the easier one. Now, it has worse cost, but it's the easier one. It's the more common one. It has pleasures that we don't allow ourselves to enjoy. And I wish someone would have told me this. I wish someone would have told me this. There is pleasure in sin. 
Because, you know, go to church, you're 21, you're living like hell, and the guy's talking about how horrible it is. You go, I'm having a good time. That's what I'm thinking. They're miserable out there. I'm like, I had a good time last night. No problem. But for a season, it is pleasurable. Go out to a nice restaurant, go to Natalia's. You take your favorite couple, it's you and your wife and your favorite couple. You stay out, you eat some of everything on the menu, and then the check comes. And you're like, merciful God, merciful God. Lord, do, do y'all, do you, payment plan, do y'all take a check? Take a check. I, I, if you'll hold it till Friday, can you hold this check? And sin, that's why it's very hard to reach people in the ignorance of their late teens and early 20s. Because the check hasn't come yet. The check for the choices. The check for the rebellion. The earthly life without Christ is pleasurable until you have to pay for it. It's the preferred one because it has no constraint, no liabilities, no responsibilities. It is common, popular, familiar. It's easy. And the reason it is the preferred one is because no one gets to tell you what to do. You understand that's why you move out of your house? Who moved out before 19? Okay. This going to get you. Who moved out 18? Sinner. <laughs> Who moved out 17? Lord, help. Where'd y'all go? 16. Jesus, take the wheel. And lock me in the trunk. 16. But we're grown. You remember when you was leaving? I remember telling my mom, I was, before I was 18, I said, I'm gone. I'm out of here. She says, you a man? I'm a man. Grown up, I, I am coming out from under this bondage, <laughs> laws and restrictions and do's and don'ts. I had a mama that wouldn't give. Said you ain't coming in this house in that condition, crawling in a window. You ain't coming in this house in that. Condition. And she said, now when you move out, you're telling me you're a man. Are you a man? Yeah, I'm a man. Well, if I'm your man, you don't need your mama paying any. You're a man. I said, I'm a man. And she said, you're welcome to come and eat at this house anytime. But I give you my word, I will not give you a dime to aid in your destruction. And I'm telling you, I didn't get a dime. Do you hear me? I stole toilet paper from gas stations. Anybody feel me? You remember? Ain't no poor in the world like, I'm grown, but you wasn't grown poor. It's a pleasurable one because you get to decide where you go. And that's the allurement of moving out. Because ain't no mama, ain't no daddy. I'm my own authority. And that's what sends people to hell. They refuse to bow their knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ and say, I'm not the final authority. You are. But Jesus tells us. He said, in the end, every knee going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. A life without Christ is a pleasurable one. Until the last chapter, when regret and remorse and disease and lives that are cut short in front of you, it is sad to share this with you. But in my experience as a believer, I go from, you know, the fraternity life in college where you're drunk truly four or five nights a week for seven years. You went to college seven years? There are plans beside the four-year plan. 
And you know, you got your little pictures. You got there with everybody. everybody. Turn your label. Everybody. And now, 80, 96, 35 years later, almost 40 years later, I see the same pictures on Facebook with my buddies who look like they're in their 70s and 80s. Their eyes are dark. The expressions on the girls are withered and weathered. And I'm burying my fraternity brothers, two, three, and four a year for liver, liver that shut down. And they lose their life. They lose their influence. They lose their opportunity and capacity to raise their children. Their, 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 the cost, the cost of being your own God is so high. Because there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And one of my buddies who died from liver failure, from drinking all those years, I got to the funeral, and one after the other, guys got up and told stories about them partying together. That was the eulogy. Just partying. And, oh, I know he's in heaven, and will be one day. Here's to you. And they said, one of them said, uh, and I want to invite everybody after the funeral we're going to meet down here at so-and-so, and we're going to lift them up for our old buddy. And said, I was just visiting. I hadn't seen these guys in 25 years. And the father came up. I don't know if he was a believer or not. He said, I hope you know that the very stories you were talking about is what killed my son. I hope you know. It was his choice, but the stories you're talking about he paid with his life for them. And you're speaking of the, the fun you had. And now you're going to honor him afterwards. He said, count me out. I'm thinking, King James, thus I have never seen a funeral as such. <laughs> and the wife asked me, would I go up and say something? I haven't seen him in 30 years. I got up and preached the gospel. I never talked about our old life. I never talked about my noodle. Uh, I've never talked about all the stories. I let the casket preach the funeral that this preferred life ends early. It ends destroyed. It ends emaciated. It ends in destruction because the soul that sinneth dies. And if you live after the flesh, you die. In different ways and in different degrees. It's pleasurable but for a season. And the check is so high you can only pay for it with your soul. A life without Christ is a predictable one. Because of the laws of sowing and reaping. I can tell what your future will be by what you do today. God said I'm not mocked. The only place in the Bible I can find sarcasm like this. God said you will not mock me. Whatever you put in the ground comes up. And it is not what you see on Christian television. It's not the slot machine where you put a hundred in and get a thousand. That's not the context of the scripture. It talks about sowing to this world or sowing to the spirit. Sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. If you sow to this world, you reap from the world. If you sow into the spirit, the things of God, you reap from God. And the world is diseased and, and it's contagious. And the life without Christ is predictable. It always ends in regret. It always ends in sorrow. It always ends in tragedy. 
While I was at college, one of my roommates died in an apartment fire of smoke inhalation. The flames never touched him. He was so drunk he could not find the door to get out. I went to the funeral. I'd been saved about, it couldn't have been six months. And I'm thinking, this preacher's going to have every one of my fraternity brothers, every one of them here, preach, God anoint him. And he got up and preached my buddy into heaven. Because he prayed a prayer when he was eight. And I'm thinking, listen, this was a good guy, but he was not a godly guy. And we do not merit heaven by goodness. We merit heaven by being born again, saved, forgiven. And I thought, I thought, here they are. They're talking about my buddy's goodness and he's in hell. I knew him. We don't talk, it's just better not to talk about it. No, the, the life without Christ is predictable because if you are not saved, you are not saved. Regardless of the good deeds, like if I have AIDS, if I have AIDS or fourth stage cancer, a stage four cancer, and I go to build a house for Habitat for Humanity, I still got cancer. If I'm a better husband, I still got cancer. We have spiritual AIDS, and the wages of sin is death, and a good deed does not erase the sinful nature and, and the, the penalties of sin. It's predictable because it always digresses. You do not live away from God in a stagnant place. The current of this world takes you further and further away, even if you don't walk that way. It's predictable because of the law of diminishing return. You know what the law of diminishing return is, don't you? The law of diminishing return is the 35th rib at the barbecue place doesn't taste as good as the first one. It's the look on the face of the 45-year-old and 50-year-old sitting at the bar by himself, drinking his cold beer, staring at the TV. And that's it for him. How it diminishes. The pleasure diminishes. That blank look you see on people's face because they've come to a realization, whether they've articulated it or not. Is this it? Is this all there is? Because if I've sown to this life and I got what I got, I'm very disappointed. I have never met a regretful Christian at the end of their life. Never one. It's predictable because the Bible says where the broad way leads to. It leads to destruction. A life without Christ is a painful one because of the law of sin and death. It is painful because God opposes the proud. It is painful because of the high cost of sin and rebellion. It is painful because famine always follows a departure from the Father's house. It is painful because our life in its very essence is fragile and our time is a limited resource. It's painful because unaddressed sin becomes bondage. And you can't break free. Small pleasures become old habits. What was cool when you were young? Do you remember? And this isn't a message on drinking. It just happens to be, it was my drug of choice the whole time. Do you remember you're at a party, whether it's in a bar or at someone's house or whatever, and everyone's dancing and everybody's happy, and you're 18 to 25, 
you know, people in there, 25 is about it, and the 45-year-old walks in, and he's like, eh, eh, and he's drunk, and, he's, and the girls are like dancing right up beside him. He's like, I got it still. I still got it. I, and everyone is what? Laughing. They're not laughing with him. They're laughing at him. And here's the joke. The people laughing become the 45-year-old. And the devil stands there in their 40s and 50s and says, You had the light of God's word, and I tricked you with sex outside of marriage, a cigarette, and a cold beer. I tricked you. And it wasn't the sex outside of marriage. It wasn't the cigarette. It wasn't the cold beer that killed you. Those were just symptoms of a life governed by the flesh, which means you do not have a life with Christ. Fool. Fool. I can show you I can look at someone's life and tell you where they're going to be based on their choices today. Oh, no, you can't. Yes, I can. It's like saying, well, I don't believe it. Well, somebody said, I don't believe in gravity. Well, uh, I, my whole row doesn't believe. Well, the Bible said the end of a sinful life, which means you govern yourself, is destruction. It's painful because of the shame Regret, loss, and lack. It is a powerless one. A life without Christ is power, powerless. I remember before I got saved, it was about a year before I got saved, I pulled out this uh, five by eight card stock, like a, a flash card, and I wrote, things I'm going to change this year. And I was serious. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to change this part. And I got towards the end of the year, and in honesty, none of them have changed. Because I had entertained the world. The world now owned me and the bondage that had taken over. I couldn't just stop. Oh, yes, you could. No, I couldn't. I was held against my will. I willfully sinned, but the bondage was greater than I. I was powerless to change, powerless to find peace, powerless to find contentment. And powerless to clean my conscience. No matter what I did or where I went or how I scaled back. Or, I always felt guilty. I always felt guilty. Some of us feel guilty because of how we were raised. We know better. We knew better. People would say to me, uh, if your daddy could see you, he'd turn over in his grave. I'm like, you don't think I don't know that? You don't think a day goes by that I don't think about how far I'm living under the heritage that was laid before me? And no matter what I did or how much I consumed or how much liberty I gave to myself, I led a painful life without Christ and a powerless one. And it's also a perplexing one because we thought this life would lead to happiness. We thought that absolute freedom would lead to absolute contentment. We thought that the broad way to, would lead to broad places. The popular place would lead to the greatest blessings. And the progressive way would lead us to nirvana. We thought because living our life for ourselves has left us. See, it left us with an inner knowing that something is wrong. It's perplexing because I thought if I did everything that I wanted to do, I would feel content. But it, it created within me 
an inner gnawing that something is wrong, something is missing, and something is coming. And as the years pass, we notice we're not gaining ground in the areas that matter most. We witness firsthand what I spoke with you a moment ago about the deterioration and loss of life of those who traveled this path without Christ with us. Because even if the Bible were true, we privately thought that we're the exception. I won't become the addict. I won't be the one. I'll change. I'll turn it around. Powerless to change and perplexing. I never dreamed. I never, it, 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 it confused me. I never dreamed that that first beer in the bowling alley parking lot, which is now the med center uh, there off Northside Drive, the wellness center. I never thought that that first beer would take the next eight years of my life. I never thought that it would lead me to my greatest sins and my greatest shame. I thought that if I got free from law, parental law or scriptural law, that I could sculpt my life in such a way that I would be happy. And the truth is, I had fun in the early years, but the check was so high that I longed for death. The payment was so high. And I know this is a heavy, heavy message, but I'm trying to reach that person this morning that thinks, that thinks through, if... If this broad way was God's plan for you, then why isn't it working? Why is there that inner knowing that something's wrong? And this life without Christ is a predestined one. It's predestined to end in failure, destruction, and judgment. A life without Christ will end in failure, destruction, and judgment. 1 John 5 says this. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Which means if you have the Spirit of the Son of God in you through regeneration, through new birth, an act of God where you were recreated, you've repented of your sins. If you have the Son, you have life. But if you don't have Christ, you have not life. That's why this message of all roads lead to the same place is ridiculous. Any, any religious path, let's like saying all roads lead to Florida. I'm serious, I'm going to hop on 75 North and I'm going to be at the beach in no time. No, it's going to get cold. All roads do not lead to the same place. And the life, the Bible says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not, which means a firm, relying, exclusive trust in Christ. He that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And you know what that means, abideth? It means it's standing by him. The wrath of God has already been sentenced. And it's standing right beside this person. So the moment they die, they are judged. He that hath the son. Not the good man. Not the kind man. But the one that has the son. Because see, every good and kind man doesn't have Jesus. But every man that has Jesus has goodness and kindness. No exceptions, no exclusions, no appeals, no purgatory, and no second chances. He that has Jesus Christ has life. And he that does not, the wrath of God abideth in him. Ben and Eden, if you would come. And finally, a life without Christ is a preparative one. 
A life without Christ is a preparative one. Did you know that God knew beforehand? People say, why did God, why would he allow all of this? Give me just one minute to tell you the plan. Had God made us robots and forcefully made us serve him and worship him, we could have accused him. You can't force someone to love because the moment it's forced, it's not love. God created us with free will knowing we'd choose ourselves. And with that choosing of ourselves, we separated ourselves from him. So he planned on sending his son to die for our sins, reconciling us back to himself. So the worship that we now offer is of our own will instead of being robotic. But God knowing what I would do, God knowing where I would be and, and, and where I would go, God uses all of the results of my sin, all of the ramification, all of the reaping, and he uses my failures to push me towards himself. Where's Ben? Ben, are you available? That's okay. He uses all of these situations preparatively while I wasn't saved, I was being saved. And there are people in this room, you're not a Christian, and it's going to come together, and it's going to make sense to you now that the pieces that are, are the worst are the ones that he's used to prod and push you towards him. I had a man pull a pistol on me in my apartment and shoot the wall out and try to kill me. That got my attention, and it pushed me... <laughs> You follow me towards the Lord. I've shared this once before, I believe, in 20-something years, and I feel prompted to share it, and it's very embarrassing. But I had a girl in college that told me that she was pregnant with my child. And at that time, I did not know that I was sterile. I had no idea. And so I said, well, I, we'll just raise it, you know. She goes, you think I want to have this baby with you? I just want the damn thing gone. And I said, what? I just need the money to get it fixed. And I said, I am not going to be a part of killing any child. I'll, I'll take the child by myself. But I am not going to be a part. And she made this statement. And I'm sorry that this is graphic. But I'm trying to let you see that God let me hear these things to make me sick of this world. He let us experience the worst the world has to offer, preparing us for the good news of the gospel. She said, next Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day, she said, I'm going to be in that doctor's office with my legs in stirrups, thinking of how much I hate you. And I went home with that ringing in my ear, thinking that it would be my child and it would be killed. And I began to get sick to my stomach of what my choices were doing to my friend who died, what I was hearing, what I was becoming. And God uses these failures of ours to prepare us for grace. Listen to this list. Almost done. He uses our sinfulness. Our sinfulness creates a need in our heart for a Savior. Our bondage creates a need for a deliverer. Our brokenness creates a need for a healer. 
Our sorrow creates a need for a balm that can be applied. Our regrets create a need for a restorer. Our blindness creates a need for one who can lead us. Our lameness creates a need for somebody to carry us. Our death creates a need for a resurrector and a giver of life. And our guilt creates a need for us for a judge who can absolve our sins. In essence, God orchestrates our rebellion, our sins, and our failures to open our eyes so we'll be open to the gospel message. The God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. Our sins prepare us for salvation. And finally, and with everything around us, making us open and pushing us towards God, He gives the guarantee of forgiveness, grace, and eternal life. Listen to this. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And all that the Father gives to me, all the people that come to me, I will turn not one of them away. It is only the person that acknowledges their life without Christ. It's only that person that qualifies for receiving the life of Christ. And I was a sinner. Raised in a preacher's home. I knew the gospel. And I was dying. And then I saw the truth. And I saw God's hand. Saying, I'm using all of this confusion, perplexity, and sorrow to bring you unto myself. And there's a day coming, and now is, the Bible said, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall live. You're supposed to be here today. There are those that have never asked Christ into their heart. They've never repented of their sins. And there are those that are backslid. This altar is open. It's time we publicly walked away from Him. We've publicly lived without Him. We can publicly come to Him. And may the Holy Spirit be on the words of this song for your heart. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Would you come? Calling for you and for me. Who is this message for today? Come on. Come on. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. way we're going to sing through this one more time and that's it one of two things 
either this message was for one person or I missed God's voice on what to share with you. Because his word won't come back void. If not today, sir, when? Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Receive this gift as God only can give. You can't come to God when you want to. You come when he draws you. And this message was your invitation to life. We're going to sing through it one more time. If that's you, come on. So Bless you, sir. isn't me extending an altar. People's hearts are softening for the Lord. I want to ask you to your face, to the backslider, to the backslider. Do you remember your vows and your promises? Do you remember the Lord's spirit seen on your face and your countenance? Your father waits at the door that you walked out of for your return. And I appeal with this last verse to the backslider to come home to your rightful place with God. Would you come? Just the chorus, guys.
Church family, would you stand with me? Those in the altar, you can still pray. A life without Christ is a life with Christ. Our life without Christ. A life with Christ is one of peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's hard. But we're going somewhere. Yes, it's narrow, but narrow pathways lead to specific places. We are the minority here, but we're going to be in the majority there. And I'm grateful today that though my sins were as scarlet, they are now white as snow. And there is therefore now no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. No judgment. Well, what about it's forgiven, paid for, paid for. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the power of your word, the moving of your spirit. I thank you for every man and woman, young boy and young girl that turned their heart to you. We give you all the credit and all the glory that your word found them. And it changed their heart and mind and now their sins are forgiven. Go with us, Lord, as we serve you this week with our families and at work. And if your son should tarry, allow us to be, Lord, pleasing to you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.